We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. It is still 92 degrees out there, 708 in the Twin Cities. As May Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Well, certainly this past week once again has been dominated by the story of allegations involving alleged collusion between uh, President Trump, his campaign, uh, perhaps even the administration, the investigation, and the bombshell that had happened this past week was the release by Donald Trump Jr. himself releasing his own emails, which showed, in fact, that the Russians had, in fact, approached the Trump campaign, had approached Donald Trump Jr., with information about or supposed information about uh, candidate Hillary Clinton and that Donald Trump Jr. uh, responded with some uh, enthusiasm, Uh, took the meeting, as his father said, uh, defending him, saying anybody would have taken that meeting or most people would have taken that meeting. Apparently not much resulted, but it's certainly the repercussions continue to resound and the the bottom line, the story is not going away anytime soon. Joining me right now, political scientist, professor at Carleton College, Professor Stephen Shear. Thanks so much for coming on. Glad to be here. All right. Well, Stephen Shear, I know you are somebody who really studies not just what's going on right now, but you really have have the historic perspective down uh, in terms of looking at it. What is your take on this latest development? Because, uh, you, you know, um, um, uh, critics of the president calling it a smoking gun, certainly supporters saying uh, nothing much here. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, first of all, there is a Keystone Cops element to this <laughs> that is really peculiar, and it, it may involve both the Russians and the Trump campaign. Uh, it's still very murky as to what exactly happened, who these Russians were, who was at the meeting, uh, and so forth. So I'm still, uh, the further you get into this and the more you read about it, the more you end up in a fog, as may. But uh, clearly we do know that uh, Donald Trump Jr. was willing to consider collusion uh, with Russians, uh, at least in his email. And then uh, in terms of the actual result of the meeting, it may have been nothing or it may have been something, but we don't really know that yet. All right. And, I, you know, I, I think that's interesting what you point out, the Keystone Cops element of this, because even in the conservative press, uh, Donald Trump Jr. has been lambasted oh, for yeah. just, uh, frankly, not being smart about this. And he, he even admitted if he had to do it over again um, – that would be, you know, he would do it differently. Um, uh, you know, I was talking to somebody earlier today who I, I believe is a, a Donald Trump supporter, the President Trump supporter, who said, "Well, you know, don't you think it was kind of a rookie mistake?" Yeah. What, 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 what's, what's your response to that? Well, you know, uh, I think Donald Jr. admitted as much in his interview with Sean Hannity this week when he said that, you know, I was in the middle of a campaign. I'd never done this before. I was new at this. 
Yeah, well, uh, that's why you should not make decisions like that. If you don't have any experience, you ought to uh, consult with other people before you agree to meetings. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, and but isn't that one of, you know, the president's perhaps one of his President Trump's strengths, but also perhaps one of his weaknesses oh, yeah. is that he really has very few people that he trusts. Yes. And, and that he has very few people around him. And that that one of the key advisors in a presidential campaign, by this point, he was the presumptive nominee, Mm -hmm. was his 39-year-old son, uh, who, you know, uh, the president is referred to as a nice young man. I couldn't help but draw the contrast that uh, President Emmanuel Macron, the president of France, is the same age. I mean, you know, 39 is young, but still, it is very much an adult. Yeah, you can run a country at age 39. Absolutely. Um, But it's... You know, in 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 matters, I mean, ignorance is not a defense in most cases. That no, where, where, where either it's an ethics situation or else it's you know potentially criminal, and that's not clear at this point. Yeah, that's not clear either, Esme. So another uh, ambiguity with all this, and that's why, as you mentioned in your introduction, this is going to spin out over several weeks and months. Uh, There's also the possibility that Jared Kushner, the son-in-law who was at the meeting, may have had other contacts with Russians that will require scrutiny and that. So, you know, this just goes on and on. But what's interesting to me about it, and again, this gets back to just incompetence, is – you know, the president has been obsessed with this Russia story. All right, well, the, if if you think it's a problem, get all the information that you have about that out there right away. And we're still dealing with finding out things that Donald Trump Jr. didn't say this week. Right. You know? Who was in on the meeting? Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's just, uh, you know, scandal containment 101. Get it all out there. Right. And uh, I think you really hit on something when you talk about the fact that uh, Trump really has few people he trusts, and that's probably why he hasn't taken this maximum disclosure route. But it's ultimately counterproductive not to disclose, as we're discovering. Right. And, and you know, let, let me ask you, because I think you, you really have a wonderful, you know, historic, historical perspective here. I mean, in the end, when you look at, at the disastrous campaign and, 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 and you know, Hillary Clinton's loss. Mm-hmm. You you can't you cannot ignore the drip 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 effect of the the emails. Right. Um. It, it just it never stopped. And 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 you know whether if you're a Hillary Clinton supporter, I mean you can say well it was WikiLeaks false, it was this fault or whatever. I mean ultimately I think I think it has to come back to the candidate herself. Mm-hmm. But but it, it never stopped. I mean isn't that kind of the classic you know sort of scandal that, that that potentially maybe it doesn't completely explode but the damage from something like this it, it can be devastating and i don't see that this isn't going away no i don't think it's going away because of <laughs> all these uh questions that are raised uh, by the situation the ambiguity of what we know means that there's going to be steadily more revelations let me just give you a, a an example um uh, apparently, one of the uh, Russians uh, who was uh, at the meeting, uh, Renat Akmenshin, uh, works for or worked for Fusion GPS. Now, Fusion GPS is a consulting group that put out a false report about Donald Trump's Russians' behavior that is 
later been debunked in the media. Why is he at this meeting? I mean, what's going on here? This makes right. no sense. Well, you, you almost wonder if it's sort of like a double, like they, they were trying to, you know, obviously help clearly. I mean, and they said it in the emails that they wanted to help, um, you know, Donald Trump win. But now it almost looks like they're setting it up so that now that Donald Trump's there, they want to weaken him, which obviously it is weakening him right. to have this. Well, I, maybe they're looking to blackmail everybody. Right. <laughs> but, but but in terms of – um. You know, and obviously Donald Trump Jr. is not a member of the administration. Mr. Kushner, as you pointed out, is. And, and whether or not he disclosed that meeting, because it looks like he didn't, it, yeah. that's a problem. I mean, come on. If these meetings occurred, why are we finding out about it now? Right. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Right. And, 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 and you know, you, you, you know, uh, Jared Kushner was obviously a very smart man, said, you know, he'd forgotten some other meetings and, okay, rookie mistakes. But it doesn't sound like this is the kind of meeting you're going to forget. No, particularly because everything Russian has been really at the top of the media radar for months. It's not like you, you would uh, you would forget that uh, when the media is constantly focusing on all matters Trump and Russia. You, this would come to mind, you would think. Right. <laughs> well, let me ask you, and we're chatting with uh, Professor Stephen Shear, a political scientist at Carleton College. What um, – how long? Do, I mean, do you? How long do you see this going on? This this Russia situation. Obviously, um, you know, uh, the former FBI director Mueller has the special prosecutor. Oh, yeah. here. I mean, this is going to go on for another year, isn't it? Right. Well, uh, yeah. Mueller is really the person who uh, determines the uh, time frame of this. Uh, he is the person, really, who is the active agent who uh, whose decisions will either produce prosecution, uh, produce sensational disclosures, and so forth. And uh, and I, I'm certain that stokes the paranoia of the Trump administration about this. And we really don't know uh, what Mueller's uh, schedule is going forward. But I, I think you're right to assume that he's not going to wrap this up in the short term. Right. In terms of, you know, and obviously people are pulling out the Watergate comparison. I mean, yeah. what, what are your thoughts about that? Well, that was a, cons- a criminal conspiracy to obstruct justice uh, regarding a felony that occurred uh, with a break-in at the Democratic National Committee. Now, so far we have no felony. See, uh, that's the thing. We have, uh, we have very bad judgment. We have suspicions of collusion, but uh, collusion itself has to be legally demonstrated, uh, you have to have, you know, a long record of uh, communication back and forth leading to some sort of illegal collusion. And so far, we're not there, you know. Right. Uh, but one one does wonder what else is out there. Well, that's right. Right. Um, in terms of uh, the president's ability um, to, to, you know, kind of cobble together uh, legislation, I mean, he does have both the House and the Senate uh, how big a deal is this health care bill in the Senate? Oh, it's huge. And, and it, it, it looks like it's still pretty precarious. Yeah, it is very precarious. In fact, I wouldn't bet money on 50 votes arriving for this anytime soon. If if it does, it's due to one person, Mitch McConnell. It's not due to Donald Trump, who has really uh, made some phone calls. He's been involved, but he's not a prime mover in this. And I think that the 
the main thing you have to understand about Trump and Congress is that Trump is fundamentally a stranger to Republican members of the House and Senate. I mean, he was during the campaign. Uh, he has met people a few times, but he's he has no record with these people that inspires trust, particularly because uh, he has been so um, volatile in his statements about health care. He, uh, he has a ceremony at the White House when it passes the House by two votes. And then a couple months later, in discussing that House bill that he celebrated with a ceremony at the White House, he describes it as mean. Well, how is that going to help <laughs> It doesn't you? help. <laughs> How's that going to help you with representatives or senators? Because you're, you're, you're not certain what the president's going to say at any given point in time. And one other thing I would just briefly mention about this, since health care has been a very top agenda item, if you look at the record of the president's tweets over the last couple months, uh, the vast majority of them have said nothing about this issue. You know, he commands the airwaves with these tweets, but he's not tweeting about the agenda items that are central to Congress, which also is not going to inspire trust among members of the House and Senate. Right. Um, you know, what in terms of the history, you know, when you've had, um, you know, a Republican or like, a, you know, either a Democratic president, Democratic Congress, both Senate and House, what is the record? You know, are, are in most cases when that happens, do they get things done? Do they get legislative achievements? Uh, yeah, if you look at uh, the first year, you know, I mean, we can only go about six months into uh, Trump's term. But uh, in that first six months uh, with Obama, we had uh, the major economic rescue plan uh, pass uh, that involved spending uh, over $700 billion on economic uh, stimulus. Uh, George Bush got a major tax cut uh, through uh, in his first six months. Uh, Trump, nothing, you know, like that. He, there has been significant deregulation, but uh, in terms of his big agenda items of an infrastructure bill, tax reform, health care, etc., uh, the wall, the immigration, uh, you know, there's, uh, it, it's what's really remarkable, Esme, is how internally divided Republicans are. In both the House and Senate, they have trouble assembling majorities for any of these initiatives. And so what you need is a president who finds a way to bring these people together. And so far, Trump's behavior has really not facilitated that process. All right. What about 2018? Because historically, <laughs> um, you know, these midterm elections, which people are already looking at, yeah. can be problematic. Do you think that that's going to happen again in terms of the GOP taking a hit here? Well, I like your phrase, can be problematic, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because I think that uh, uh, it certainly looks as if Republicans will be on the defensive in 2018. Now, perhaps something will happen in the next eight months where a whole bunch of agenda items pass. Um, and there is one ray of hope for Trump, and this comes in the Gallup uh, survey that was released, Gallup opinion poll survey was released this week, um, that it, why don't you like Donald Trump was the question. And uh, two-thirds of those people said his personality, who his character, who he is. Only about 15% disliked his agenda, and that was what motivated him. So uh, I guess the, uh, the one hope for Trump is that he can get some popular items passed, and that will uh, encourage people to look past his personality uh, in order to uh, buoy Republican hopes in 2018. That's the best-case scenario I can spin for you. 
All right. Well, listen, uh, Professor Stephen Shear, it is always a pleasure. I haven't talked to you in a long time. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. Happy to do it. Absolutely. Professor Stephen Shear, political scientist from Carleton College in Northfield. Great to chat with him. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. Um, I don't think this issue of Russia is going away anytime soon. In fact, I think it's going to continue to, to – the drip, drip, drip is going to continue dripping – uh, for many months, I, I think even at least another year, especially with Robert Mueller conducting this investigation. All right, folks, so we do have to take a break. We've got so much more ahead. We've got weather. We've got Rick Nelson, the Star Tribune uh, food critic, who's going to talk to us about the new best restaurants. Much more ahead. Keep it here. You're listening to News Radio 830 WCCO. It's 727 in the Twin Cities on a warm, balmy, Steamy night. I mean, it's not often that you have a summer night in Minnesota that's 90 degrees. And it feels kind of warm out there. A lot of people, I think, certainly like this kind of weather. Uh, take a dip because it's still light out, kind of pleasant. Uh, Esme Murphy with you until 9, nine o'clock, along with uh, studio coordinator Jonathan Lowe. We have much more ahead on this Saturday night show. Uh, Coming up in the next half hour, we have somebody who's just really fun to talk to. And I I love reading his columns because even if you can't go to all the fancy restaurants, you can read Rick Nelson and kind of like pretend you're going to the fancy restaurants. But he has some really neat ideas for the top six restaurants, including some places that sound very family friendly and even takeout friendly, whereas you could like order something and bring it home and it sounds very reasonable. So I love chatting with him. Uh, He's always a lot of fun. I enjoy his work. And I thought this list was really interesting in terms of not being uh, – there was one restaurant that was kind of higher end, but there were some other ones that he had that that were really great ideas where if you're in a bind – and when are we not in a bind, folks, especially the moms out there (laughs) every night? What are we going to eat? Rick Nelson has some really good ideas. And then uh, in the 8 o'clock hour, I think this is going to be really interesting. Um, we are going to talk uh, with a relationship expert. Uh, I, I don't know if anybody heard the comments. There was a bit of a controversy with the president about his statements to uh, the French president, uh, Emmanuel Macron, about his wife, Brigitte Macron, and where the president said, oh, she's beautiful. She's in such great shape. Well, there's a lot of controversy about that because Mrs. Macron is 24 years older than her husband. Mr. Macron, the, the president of France, is 39, and his wife is 64. Well, that happens to be the same age difference between President Trump and Melania Trump. So we're going to talk about or, or we'll talk with a relationship expert about this. Uh, and, and just, you know, what to make of it. Um, the French sort of have a legendary sort of reputation for being sort of, you know, accepting of these kinds of things. But obviously they're very happy. They have been married for many years. He was actually – she was actually, I think, his teacher in high school. They say the relationship didn't start until afterwards. But anyway, it's it's an interesting take on, you know, May-December matches – and obviously a lot of people usually think of like sort of the man being older, but what if the woman's significantly older? And what of it? Is it a big deal? Is it not a big deal? Your thoughts about the, the president's comments? 
And then in honor of Jonathan Lowe, even though he may not be here, though, because he may be off, 835, we're going to talk with the vice president of the Minnesota Cider Guild about the booming cider business in Minnesota, hard cider. It is making a run at your beer, folks, and a lot of people really like it. Uh, A lot of people think it's lighter and refreshing, but it also has, you know, they're all different spectrums of ciders in in terms of like a lighter one, a sweeter one, a heavier one, just like there are beers. Uh, And then also different kinds of ciders, like is a pear cider really a cider? Well, we'll visit with the vice president of the Minnesota Cider Guild because that is increasingly popular. So we do have to take a break. I'm going a little late here. Uh, We're going to give you some weather and then we'll come back. Rick Nelson the restaurant reviewer for the Minnesota Star Tribune. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Hey, folks, it's 736 in the Twin Cities, a steamy 90 degrees as my Murphy with you until 9 o'clock. Well, I got to tell you, one of my, you know, favorite things to do on Thursdays when the taste section comes out is check out what Rick Nelson has to say what he has written about, what his, you know, reviews are. He is the Star Tribune restaurant critic. How cool a job would that be? That's your job. And, you know, something he does a very good job of it. And I loved his column this past week because it had six restaurants, six new restaurants that he thought were really good. And what I thought was really cool about it is he had, you know, something that was maybe a little higher end, but he also had some things, some suggestions that were accessible even accessible to the point of view if you're like running late and you got to pick up something for dinner and you got kids or you got people coming over and what can you pick up that's really good that pe- everyone will love. And I love the fact that the six recommendations he had were kind of all over that, you know, not just the high end, but also just different ones as well. So Rick Nelson, thank you so much for taking some of your Saturday to be with us. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. And as I said, I really liked um, – and I want. I also want to visit the sad part, the restaurants that are closing. But I loved your, your column on the top six restaurants because I think you really uh, kind of had a nice span there. So tell us about that. One is pretty high-end. I've been there. It, it was very good. Um, Belcour, which is fancy French. Fancy French. And, you know, man does not live by – French alone, but it's certainly nice to have it around, isn't it? I mean, yes. <laughs> and I, you know, I will tell you, I went there without a reservation with my husband, and we got in and kind of had dinner at the bar, and it was very pleasant. Well, I'm really encouraged to say that because the reason I haven't actually reviewed the restaurant yet is because I can't get a reservation. <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, you go on open table, and it's like, you know, you put in a date and you throw in a time. And it says, well, the next time maybe would be, you know, August 15th at 4.30. It's like, you know, I don't want to dine at 4.30 in Wysetta. I just no. don't, you know. No. So I, I was really, one, encouraged to hear that you sat, went and sat in the bar, which I think is what I'm going to do. But also when I was there about two weeks ago for brunch, which, by the way, they just started serving weekend brunch there, and it's fantastic, um, is that they, they have a patio. And um, the patio is completely first come, first serve. Um, and so I learned that little trick, and I think that's how I'm going to get into the restaurant. Right. But, was, yeah, I, I, you know, I felt it was very el- – like we didn't have a reservation. Either, so it was very elegant if you sat like in the restaurant part. But this was more casual, and you could get the same and, – and it was it was really very nice. But we kind of did it spur of the moment, and we're not spur of the moment people. Um, we don't go out that much. I don't get out that much. But I thought that was really interesting. But what I really thought was interesting were a couple of um, your recommendations – 
that look like you could actually um, get some takeout food that sounds really pretty great and, and not a, super expensive. Right. I mean, one place that I'm uh, really in love with that's only been open for I'm less than a month, it's called Storm King Barbecue. And, you know, barbecue is kind of coming into its own in the Twin Cities. There have been a number of openings of barbecue in the last year and a couple that are coming up that I'm really looking forward to. And this one just kind of came out of the blue. It's by a chef named Jordan Smith who runs uh, several um, outlets of a place called Black Sheep Pizza, which is a really great pizzeria. But he's become obsessed with Texas barbecue. And I I think he said he estimated that he's been to Texas like some crazy number, like 40 times in the last, (laughs) you know, six or seven years. And he just goes and he eats barbecue. And um, as for an example, um, uh, there's a magazine called Texas Monthly, a really great magazine. Absolutely. Every year they come out with what's considered like the barbecue Bible. They're like the 50 best places to get barbecue in Texas. And I think that Jordan said that he is, he's gone to like 40 of them. So, I mean, he's a real <laughs> study of, of what Texas barbecue is. And he's really done a great job of replicating that on 26th and Nicollet in South Minneapolis. And it's a pretty small place. I mean, there's some seating, um, I think for maybe like 25 people or something, but you just order at the counter. And one of the great things is, is it's really hard to park in that neighborhood if you're a driver. But they have curbside service, so you can call ahead to order. They'll run it out to the curb when you pull your car up, which I right. think is really great. And you can order um, like the whole barbecued chicken, right? Uh, absolutely, which, which I thought looked or like, right, or like you could order like a pound of brisket, and you know they have really great sides, like a really fantastic potato salad, and it's not wildly expensive. And you know, it's it's more than say like the crummy little barbecue joint in the strip mall, you know, uh, you know, in a first ring suburb. But he's using really quality meats and and treating them really well. He also has a really great beer list. I mean, I was so impressed with this place, and I cannot wait to go back. All right. And that, again, is at 26th and Nicollet. Right. Um, um, and Storm King Barbecue, for, for those another, who are starved for bar- good barbecue in the <laughs> Twin Cities. And another place that I was really impressed with is it's actually in that same neighborhood. It's on 27th and Lindale. And it's called the Lynn Hall, and it's uh, it's basically an order at the counter kind of place, and the the food is fairly simple, um, but really delicious. The chef is a guy named Shane Porto, who was the last chef de cuisine at La Belle Vie before, which that was episode. very fancy, very fancy, and, and wonderful, but very fancy, super yeah, spendy, very high end. And so he has taken what he learned at La Belle Vie, and he's applied it to really kind of a very casual format. I love going there in the morning, for example, and getting a, you know these tartines, these beautiful open-faced sandwiches, kind of breakfast style with scrambled eggs and you know like fresh peas or you know fresh radishes. They're really, I mean, they're just so beautiful and they're really delicious. And they're like eight dollars for this gigantic, like I could never even eat the whole thing. Right. Um, and they have beautiful pastries. I mean, you can go there for lunch or dinner. They have one of the loveliest soups I've seen all summer. This beautiful uh, basil pistu that I was just crazy about. Um, and again, it's like really affordable. Um, they have cocktails. I mean, it's just kind of this really kind of grabs all kinds of different demographics in this one really attractive room with super nice people. And this is the Lynn Hall. And my computer's freezing up here, but but that is like in that sort of same area. It's like Lindale and... Lindale and 27th, if you know where the French Meadow is. Absolutely, of the, course. It's, it's okay. on the same block as the French wow. Meadow. Wow, okay. Wow, yeah. that, that's a good yeah. block. <laughs> it's a really good block. <laughs> okay. Um, and, and this also has the meals that you can get to go if you're like right. in, in a pinch get, with the 
you know, like, like the roasted meat and some sides. Right. They have like these beautiful rotisserie meats, this incredible lamb that I was just crazy about. And, you know, these amazing savory tarts. I mean, you could go in there and kind of like, oh, my gosh, I cannot face cooking dinner tonight and be in and out in 10 minutes with, a, you know, a dinner that, you know, I mean, I would never be able to pass it up as my own, but maybe a good cook. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought, I thought that was neat because I thought I thought these things were, you know, I mean – I know it's it's not super cheap, but this is you know in terms of it's it's less than going out probably to dinner where you might have some drinks. But I like that the fact that you had you know the Storm King barbecue and and, and the Lynn Hall as some suggestions. Another thing that has that I just loved, and I've not been there in so long, and I'm so glad they still have the chicken pot pie is the Lexington. The Lexington. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I just it's so cool. It's just and is it still sort of the similar inside? I mean, to me, I mean, they they did make some changes right. to kind of like, you know, point to the the fact that we're in 2017 and we're not in 1950. That like, for example, they opened up the kitchen in the, and so in the, in the back dining room, you can actually watch the people working in the kitchen, which of course, in 1950, you never would have seen what was going on in the kitchen. That was completely hidden away. So they made those kinds of concessions. But really, for the most part, if you were a fan of the Lexington, you could just walk in and say, wow, this place has never looked better. You know, they just really spruced it up in a really beautiful way. Um, and I always thought, you know, a lot of people saying, wow, the Lexington is just is, is better than it ever was. And I don't know, I kind of, I always kind of thought the Lexington was never really very good. So I think it's kind of almost insulting to say that it's better than ever because, I mean, it was never really all that great. <laughs> but now I think it is pretty great. Um, as, a, as a diner, like, uh, you know, the, the man who's in the kitchen, Jack Rebel, has a really amazing track record in the Twin Cities. And I think it's so cool that he has taken on this really, um, you know, institution and, and has kind of taken the, the idea of country club food, which is essentially what the Lexington always served, kind of comfort food and country club food, and made it really modern. Right. We're chatting with Rick Nelson, who is the Star Tribune restaurant critic. He came out with uh, every Thursday. And, and yeah, I mean, are you, are you mostly on Thursdays? I know you've got your Burger Friday column, but on Thursdays, I always look forward to kind of reading the taste section and reading your reviews. Are you mostly out on Thursdays? Mostly on Thursday, and I contribute to Sunday maybe twice a month. Okay. Like in, for example, in tomorrow's paper, I have a whole guide to how to make my favorite angel food cake. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Well, we got, we got to check that out too. Rick, we got to take a quick break. I do want to ask you though about some of the closings and especially the closings in downtown Minneapolis because those of us who you know love Minneapolis and love downtown Minneapolis who work down here uh, are kind of bummed out about some things that are going on here. I'd like to get your take on that, okay? All right. So keep it right here, folks. We'll take a quick break. We'll have more with Rick Nelson, the Star Tribune restaurant critic after this. It is 748 in the Twin Cities. Esme Murphy, along with uh, the Star Tribune restaurant critic, Rick Nelson. Uh, we talked about some of the openings that you liked. Uh, obviously, there have been a lot of closing, especially in downtown Minneapolis. Although, actually, one of your openings, uh, the 510, has sort of been redone in a more casual way. Uh, right. because the, and and it's, it's been a while since that closes. That's been more than a year, right? Yeah, that's been about it closed in October of 2015. Okay, so, you know, right. we're coming up on two years for that space. Okay, all right, but but you you actually like the new sort of iteration of the 510? 
I do. I think it's a really smart way to handle that building. You know, um, for people who, who are kind of unfamiliar with that space, it was a very, uh, really lovely and elegant dining room on one side of the building and then a really beautiful lounge, like the most beautiful place to have a cocktail in Minneapolis. And, um, when it was La Belle Vie and, uh, after the restaurant closed, um, the man who took it over, his name is Don Saunders from the Kenwood, that really great neighborhood restaurant on the west side of Lake of the Isles. He has taken it over and he has retained the lounge and kind of beefed up the menu in the lounge and, and, and done some really beautiful things for cocktails. But he's not going to keep the dining room as a dining room. It's, you know, you won't be able to drop in there on Wednesday night and have dinner in the dining room. He's reserving that for just private events. It's probably That's a really a, smart a really move. smart way, you know, yeah. because he's not dependent on just walk-in trade to keep that dining room going. And I think there's a, a you know, I think there's a really large uh, and probably untapped market for a really lovely small-scale private event space for, you know, like weddings or, you know, wedding parties or, or bachelor, you know, um, uh, rehearsal dinners right. or you know, small right. corporate events that really don't have a venue like that in the Twin Cities. So I think he's, he's got, I think he might be onto something here. All right. But there are some other closings. I mean, not all in downtown Minneapolis. Um, what are your thoughts about some of the closings and what are some of the trends that, that you're seeing here? I mean, I, I do think that some places in the downtown area, and obviously, you know, the, the closing of the Oak Street um, uh, or the Oak Grill in, in what the former Dayton's, Macy's, Marshall Fields, I mean that that was sort of an institution that, that, that left, but a lot there are a lot of hits in downtown Minneapolis. Right, and you know I don't know about you, but I, I, I I'm 57 and I've I've been eating I ate at the Oak Grill for like my whole life. So yes. I the was pop-overs. really really yes. <laughs> the popovers and you know and the Sky Room was such a great place as well and had such an amazing history. They were both almost 70 years old. I mean, wow, real real institutions, and I mean restaurants just are not never get to be that old, you know. And so I was really bummed when those two places closed. Um, and, you know, they'll never be replaced by any, they'll never be anything like them ever again. You right. Know, I mean, you know, that, that era has come to an end in Minneapolis. And I was really sad about that. But, you know, time marches on, right? I mean, you do have to move on and, and look at, and look at other exciting things that are going on. But you're right. There have been some really kind of depressing closings over the last six months. One, and not in downtown Minneapolis, the one that really jumps out at me is Piccolo a really beautiful oh, yes. four-star restaurant on, on Bryanton 43rd. And the, the chef owner, Doug Flicker, he just wanted to do something else. And and it's, I think it's kind of a testament to his work that the moment he closed, two uh, chefs who were working in his kitchen took the space over and they just re- and they reopened it in May as a new restaurant called Tenant that cool. I think everybody should think about checking out. So that was really encouraging and happy, but, you know, sad that we lost Piccolo. And I think it's also really sad that we're going to lose an amazing restaurant in August called Brewer's Table, which is the the multi-course um, specialty restaurant on the second floor of the Surly Brewing Company right. in Southeast Minneapolis. I'm really bummed about that place. Right. And, and, you know, and I did hear different things about that because I heard, you know, and I, I have not been there. Um, I've driven past it, but I heard it was um, a long sort of night, you know, the, Right. Um, you know, and, and it could be a long night. You know, you go, you have, you have multiple courses. It's not like dropping in and having a beer and a cheeseburger, which is what the downstairs, that gigantic beer hall is all about. And is that about, still going to be there? That is still going to be there. Okay. And, you know, and I can't imagine that, you know, that's going to change very much because it's so hugely successful. 
Right. But 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 the upstairs part uh and I know that the, it had a lot of fans but but obviously that didn't I mean you've got to go with the market. You have to go with the market and it obviously didn't have enough fans and I think the the irony of course in all this is that um once it was announced that it was closing and they did something that I, and that restaurateurs are increasingly doing which is they're not they're not just closing and like walking away they're giving an announcement out to the public and saying hey we're going to close in like 2 months. So you Smart. know, enjoy it. <laughs> which is uh, what I think, you know, if they're going to close, I think it's really great that they give a, a notice out to the public so people can can go and enjoy that last experience at the restaurant. And of course, at Brewer's Table, I think it's completely sold out. You, you know, maybe you could do some walk-ins, but I mean, the reservation system is completely sold out from what I understand. Right. And then there are some other clubs, the strip club. Uh, I mean, that's you know, the strip club that in St. Paul. Too, that's amazing. You know? After 10 years, a really great run for a restaurant. In St. Paul. In St. Paul. And um, that's, you know, that's really sad, I think, for the city as well. But the guys who own the strip club also own one of the great restaurants in the Twin Cities. It's called St. Dinette. So it's not like we're we're missing, we're going right. to miss out on them entirely. And, and there are new things. And I love, um, you also gave a shout out in, in some of your openings to uh, the Rise Bagels, which our, our mutual friend Mike Augustinex sort of turned me <laughs> on to, and so I, I went there today to get my Rise Bagels, and I, you know, I called my son. And I said, "Well, I've got the bagels, and I'm just, you know, this is the center of hipness here." And he goes, "Why are you the <laughs> oldest person there?" And I was like, "Maybe I am. <laughs> what of it?" <laughs> but um, that's awesome, and I love that story that that Rise Bagels was in all the wonderful farmers markets, and they were so successful as I understand it, that they actually got a brick-and-mortar place um, just off on third, sort of off fifth, like kind of off of Washington in the North Loop. Right. You know, they're, they're one of a number of uh, places that have used farmer's markets as kind of a launch pad into a more permanent uh, and more stable location. What, what did you think of the bagels? You know, something, and I'm originally from New York, I thought they were great. I thought the cream cheeses were yeah. out of this world. Yeah. And, and I, I was told that I, I wanted to get the strawberry because it was – I think they must make the cream cheese there because this cream cheese is out of this world. This is at Rise Bagels and the strawberry one that Mike – Mike somehow was able to get it on a weekend in in, in a little pot here. It was obviously mixed in with fresh strawberries and I just thought it was to die for. And they told me if you call ahead or maybe if you say you know Mike Augustinak, maybe they'll get it for you. (laughs) You get it to go. But I I thought it was terrific. I, I thought it was wonderful and I did feel very hip. And maybe I was the oldest person there, but I don't know. <laughs> anyway, well, listen. Well, I think if I had been there, I would have been the oldest person. Well, so listen, Rick Nelson, um, thank you so much. And, and uh, we really appreciate your time on a Saturday night. And, um, uh, again, it's always a pleasure to chat with you. Same here. Thanks for having Absolutely. me. Absolutely. All right. Rick Nelson, you can read his work. And he does have a column. I kind of like looked ahead here at the Star Tribune website. And he does have uh, a great column on shortbread for tomorrow. So you got to want to check that out, all the bakers there. But I, I love his work. I think he's a great writer. And he always has some really good ideas. And as I said, I think I think what I like about it is that he has a mix of things that are uh, both, um, you know, uh, something that may, might be a little higher end, but also something that's affordable or something that might be something that you kind of have to get, you know, on the run if you don't have dinner ready, which I never seem to have ready. But anyway, folks. All right, folks, keep it here. You're seeing News Radio 830 WCCO. Older men, younger women, younger men, older women. It's all coming up next on News Radio 830 WCCO. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 